Hello and welcome to another edition of Trinity College Dublin Talks. I'm Tom Malloy and with us today is Martina Mullen, who is the Health Promotion Officer at Trinity College. Martina has a, a kind of an interesting set of uh, tasks, but really it is to keep the staff and the students the living in the campus uh, and, and studying in the campus as healthy as possible, but also to use the campus as a sort of test bed for um, policies from smoking and alcohol to sexual health to mental health, and to try and publicise those policies and, and do research to see what works and what doesn't to help broader society. So welcome to the podcast, Martina. Thanks very much for having me, Tom. Martina, can we, can we start a bit how you, how you got into this? Because it's not a, an obvious thing, health, health promotion. It's not like a, a, a career track that many people think of. So how, how was it that you became to become the health promotions officer at Trinity College? Yeah. Um, well, my degree was in sports science, so I did that down in UL. And um, it was very focused on elite athlete performance, and I wasn't really that pushed. I came out of college in 1998. You remember the Millennium Bug? Remember all the fridges were going to break simultaneously? On, and the uh, nuclear missiles were going to rain down right, on Moscow yeah. and New York. Yeah, so yeah. half my class from sports science, because we were only the second year of sports science, nobody really knew what it was. We went over to the computer science building, so I did a, a graduate diploma in computing, and then I worked as a software engineer for eight years. And I, any engineers, it was a proper software engineering job. It was C++, it wasn't HTML. <laughs> Um, but then I kind of noticed the some of the people I worked with in, in, in IT were really, they just loved it. They really loved when Windows were putting out a new release. They got so excited. And I started, at first I laughed at them like everybody, but then I started to kind of feel jealous of them that they had a job that they loved so much. So I said, I'm going to go back and find a job that I really love. So I spent about a year or so searching and eventually I went back to the Masters in Health Promotion in uh, NUI Galway. And um, I realised what I didn't like about the sports science degree was the focus on elite athletes rather than public health. So I'm not part I like sport, of course, but I'm not particularly interested in shaving three seconds off a sprinter's time. What I am interested in is people who have maybe low levels of physical activity or poor mental health, and how what changes we can make to support people uh, to make them healthier. Because way. most people think of the kind of the medical system as being uh, cardiac surgeons doing heart mm -hmm. transplants and that kind of thing, but really. What makes the biggest difference to public health is is kind of initiatives that encourage people to lose weight, walk to work, isn't it? It's yeah. that's where the, the, the real action is and the yeah, real difference yeah, yeah. can be made. Yeah, so about ten percent of our health is determined by our health service. So the other ninety percent happens in the community. So it's it's not even about uh, but it's about how people live day to day, whether they take physical activity every day, whether they're eating foods that are whole foods and whatever. Uh, but also whether they have a sense of purpose. So if you enjoy your work, you're probably going to get a few years of extra life out of you. So it's so that's that's really having a sense of belonging is very important so if you're part of a community if um, it's really important to make eye contact with other human beings every day and uh, so it's not just about what you eat and physical activity and, and whether or not you're drinking to excess which all of those things are important but it is about all the kind of nice things in life that make you feel nice and the role of a health promotion officer is to uh, rearrange the environment and social networks and social norms to make it so that um, it's easy for people to be healthy that's pretty much what the role is what the Americans call the French paradox, that although the French yeah. are fond of a drink and a cigarette, they seem to live a long time <laughs> for other reasons, the kind of reasons you've just listed. So how does that work in a, in a campus environment like our own, a kind of uh, 50 acres in the middle of a, a large, busy city, uh, a lot of 18,000 students, most of them pretty young, of course, like most students. I mean, what, what have you learned about how how students, first of all, can, can stay healthy? What should they do and what should they avoid? 
Yeah, well, everybody should do the same thing. It's all the same. But um, so basically what I try to think about is how students behave when they are uh, in this week, week 12. They're, they're preparing for exams, they're up to their eyeballs. How can we facilitate healthy behaviours there? So we've done stuff like the Healthy Library Initiative where we put yoga downstairs in the library. And um, so, so we, we, we look at that. But what they can do is, well, half of every plate should be colour. So that's a really straightforward. So if you're going into the buttery and you're buying a plate of chips, just put some salad, half that plate should be. Um, the number one form of physical activity. For breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, half of, half of every colour, half yeah. of every plate should be a whole food that's colourful. So vegetables. So is my fruits. my porridge in the morning is no good. No? Well, it's a whole food, but you could make it better by adding some colour to it. Can you think of what colour? What do I mean by colour? Um, strawberries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah you yeah. can just make it better. So, but half of it, the national recommendations are that half of every plate should be coloured. But if you're having uh, porridge for breakfast, you're doing pretty well because it's a whole Honey, food. maybe. Um, <laughs> Maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. And uh, so they can do that. They can commute actively. That's what mm. you're... And like I say, they can have a friend. Having a friend, which sounds ridiculous, but actually having a friend is a huge buffer to crises, especially when you're, when you're really, really busy. Obviously, limiting the amount of alcohol, having safe sex, all of that stuff is all uh, the stuff that you need. Those are the individual behaviours we need to be be uh, involved in. But if Trinity has a major project, like for example the Trinity Education Project last year, and you find yourself with seven assignments due in the one week, really it's gone, it's not really fair to say to the person, and don't forget to go for a run, when actually it's Trinity has a responsibility to make sure that that type of a pressure isn't applied to our students as well. So you're keeping an eye to make sure that the, the environment doesn't become too pressured. Yeah, and presumably that's my role, you meet yeah. you meet quite a lot of students. So you have a pretty good yeah. take on things. Yeah. Uh, what about staff? Is it any different for staff, or is it by and large the same kind of uh, it's same kind of measures? By and large, the same for st uh, there, there's different challenges for students than for staff. So for students, it can be difficult coming to a new place, and it can be difficult making friends when you're just new. Uh, for staff, it tends to be an excess workload. It tends to be a, a precarious work conditions, and we know precarious work is almost as damaging to your health as having no work, because having a job is hugely health promoting. Having no job is the opposite, and having insecure work is nearly as bad as having uh, no job. So those are the challenges for the for workplace staff. Um, uh, too much the always on cu culture. Um, and um, a lack of security of tenure are the big challenges for... And then, of course, how you're treated is very important. Mm. And that goes for students and staff. But in the workplace, being treated with respect. Everywhere being treated with respect. And if you wanted to do one thing, if you hate exercise and if you hate um, bananas, just um, treat other people with respect and expect to be treated with respect. And that's hugely health-promoting for your mental health. Mm. You, 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 you. I won't say synonymous, but 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 oh. many people around <laughs> campus associate you with uh, a pretty rigorous anti-smoking policy. Oh, it's now yeah. pretty much impossible to to smoke on on campus these days. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, about how you how you approach that problem and, and where we're at now? Yeah. Well, the reason that problem came about is that Trinity's been running stop smoking courses since two thousand and four. I've been running them for the last six or seven years. And you're in the stop smoking courses with these people who are trying to stop and so there's a whole process you go through and they're all killing themselves and they're just really trying very hard and they're rearranging their home environment and all that. And then they're walking in out of the library and all the people are standing at the door. So we start to think about, well, that's really what we're doing is supporting people who want to smoke rather than people who want to quit. So uh, there was kind of, I knew there was 1,200 campuses when we started in the US that were tobacco free. So we wanted to see, was that something Trinity could look into? As it turned out, 
uh, Professor Shane Allwright was the registrar mm. at the time. She's the person who brought in the pub ban in 2004. So I wouldn't have the clout to get that type of a policy past the provost. But because Shane was in such a, oh, a high managerial position, she was able to work the top. I was able to work around, I was able to do the leg work. Um, so we were able to get, we kind of did some, we did some surveys of, of attitudes. When it, when, when it was first proposed in 2013, it was like we went viral um, for, for uh, whatever that's worth. And, and uh, everyone was all about us. And then most people kind of lost interest. And what we were left with was the people who were vehemently for it and the people who were vehemently against it. And so we just, um, we got enough support. We got 71% support from the staff, 70% from the postgrads. Sorry, 75 from the staff, 70 from the postgrads. We were 50-50 on the undergrads. So then we had to do a lot of work. Uh, the students' union, we worked in partnership with students' union to get tobacco-free zones That's in. interesting, isn't it, the 50-50? Because yeah. far fewer than 50% of undergraduates smoke. So there's a large number of undergraduates who basically wanted other undergraduates to be allowed to smoke, yeah, but didn't yeah, themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as you get older, you see why smoking shouldn't be allowed. Mm. I think it was kind of a live and let live kind of a thing. Mm. I think what's been really helpful to us is, so after a big long process, we've become uh, tobacco free, but last year I had a gang of fourth year business students come in to tell me that they were going to do a critical assessment of my work, which is great. That's exactly what Trinity wants. So they went onto our website, they reviewed all of our documents and they said that my work was fine but that they thought we should do more work on the environment. And actually that has been really, really helpful. Um, so students seem to respond much more to the environmental message. So for example, like, like obviously the reason I'm focused on cigarettes is because it kills 100 people a week. It's absolutely unnecessary. 100 people in Ireland. Yeah, yep. In Ireland yep. a week. So it's, it's 17 people a day, there's, there's really nothing nothing good to be said about it but if you look at it from an environmental perspective then and you look at what it's doing so all of the cigarette butts get washed into the sea the fish are eating them there's children making them in the tobacco forest. so i don't go on about this to smokers because they kind of know but for people who would have been on the asher live and let live camp once you start to like kind of point out that you know probably that tobacco was picked by children who are being poisoned by it um, that all of the butts are made of plastic, they take 100 years to decompose. That once you start, and there's really nothing to recommend smoking, actually. Um, you know, it's very different to say uh, food or transport. We all have to eat and we all have to, but with smoking, in terms mm. of climate change, we could get rid of it tomorrow and we'd all actually be better off, mm. except for the tobacco companies mm. who, they, you know, and that's a whole thing that comes up in any state and companies' rights to make profits and all that. But. Um, yeah, so that's where the tobacco was. So at the moment, we have about 83% reduction in visible smoking. And, and basically, it's, it's, it's banned on campus now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we have three areas where it's allowed. Right. And I met a group of staff out one night recently, and they told me we were sick of stuck behind the laundry. So I... Well, there you go. That's, you that's, go. I'm, that's not, I'm not popular. You talked about uh, activity getting to and from work, and I know that you've been uh, instrumental in trying to campaign for cycle lanes between the main campus and, and various outreach kind of facilities like, like the university hospitals that we're connected to and other institutions. How's that going and, and uh, what do you make of cycling? Do you think that's something that should belong in most people's lives? Um, yeah, so um, we uh, basically are taking data. So we know that since 2011 we signed up for a national, a national smarter traps, so that's walking and cycling and public transport. Um, and since then, we've had a 37% drop in cycling. Um, and we, won't, we don't know what that is. It might be because people well, have been further out. this is nationally, is it? Or in no, Dublin in Trinity, in we've Trinity, had a 37% so drop in cycling, yeah. Since? 2011. 2011. Between 2011 and 2018. Gosh, that's very 
uh, short period of time to such a large drop. Yeah, so there are a lot of bikes around Trinity. Oh, yeah. Trinity yeah. has more cycling than so. If you look at the other universities, we have two and a half times what all the other universities have. Mm. Um, and we've been promoting Smarter Travel Initiative, and we're doing the challenges. So people have done the walk, the marchathon, and the and the cycling challenges. People will have heard of those and. And we get loads of participation in them. But basically the issue is, we believe, is that people are, we're within our campus walls promoting walking and cycling and public transport. But once you leave the campus, people take one look at the infrastructure and say, ah, here, no, I'm not going to do that. So we wanted to start making, um, making the case for better segregated cycling for things like bikes, but also for scooters, for any of that stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is anything that... Um, encourages uh, active transport I'm for and um, so we started to look at what routes so we started to look at Trinity Hall and we would be very interested in moving with 1200 students mm. we know students are price sensitive um, and uh, if you're time poor as well cycling I mean actually our, our, our number one would be walking and our second would be cycling so obviously cycling goes up as you go further out and then third would be public transport but like Ireland or Trinity has 97.5% uh, at 98.5% uh, active transport or, or smarter travel. So staff so and students come Yeah, but so we don't use yep. cars. 1.5% yep. car use. So um, so it's really, we're way ahead of anybody else. And what's interesting about Trinity is despite the fact that we have every form of transport except cycling, we still have a large number of cyclists. So we've started to work with Dublin City Council, but like we have no control what happens outside our campus walls. So all we can do is ask. So we had an event last week, Livable Dublin, where we kind of, tried to pull together everybody in the city who wants to see it become more livable. So for some people that's livable in terms of um, placemaking. So you know like Times Square in New York mm. when they, remember that used to be a traffic hellhole and then they took out and they put in the seats. Um, for people who want to make it more friendly to disabilities, for people who want to make it uh, more friendly for cycling, um, for greening the city, for children to play on the streets. It used to be, so it used to be children could play outside their own front door but now you know, just slowly we've allowed uh, the, the private car to encroach on all of our public space. And like roads aren't... So are you pessimistic or optimistic about the next few years? Because we've, we've seen this kind of decline in cycling. I mean, do you think it's going to happen or are you kind of worried? I think everybody wants it to happen. And so we took part in uh, our first pop-up lab was last June. And everybody in the NTA, Dublin City Council... All Healthy Ireland, Trinity, TU Dublin, we all want this to change. But we seem to be failing at a political level, maybe. I don't know why it keeps failing. Is that there's a few naysayers who seem to be able to encourage city councillors to vote against change. So I think we're, fo we're honing in on what the problem is. I think the pressure applied for climate change is... So I'm optimistic is the answer to your question. Yeah, I think we'll get there. And anyway, sure, what's the alternative is to stop. So we just have to keep pushing for... Because I think students I suppose have you're used to thinking in the long term, aren't you? You know, in public health, nothing or very few things happen overnight. You know, as yeah, we talked about that, the, yeah. the smoking <laughs> ban, you know, the, within college. That, that really the smoking began, ban began, what, 15, 20, 15 years ago with Neil yeah. Martin and yeah, yeah, yeah. getting rid of smoking in pubs. And we're now at a stage where one's almost a bit surprised when people smoke. Yeah, um, yeah you, you, you have to think long term in your game. Yeah, unfortunately, you don't think. I don't think when I start stuff that it's going to take me mm. six years because you just get depressed. But it often does. It's all by degrees you end up doing stuff. So you just keep tipping along and hope for the best. And sometimes you're lucky. So that work I'm doing on Liverpool Dublin, I'm doing with a woman called Sarah Bowman, who has done it in twelve hundred cities across. Uh, I just happened to cross her. She's amazing. She does Trinity's engagement stuff. 
So sometimes you can get a lucky break, but anyway, you have to just keep tipping towards what you want. I know the students were very disappointed with the plastics. You know, they've been doing really great yes, stuff on yeah, plastics. Yeah. And they're disappointed that there are still plastics on car. But you just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. It's quite exhausting, but anyway, there's no alternative. <laughs> that's, not, that's a good way of looking at it. Another kind of area of interest for you is sexual health. And obviously mm -hmm. that's something that uh, a lot of uh, students especially are very conscious of. Student life, student times, play time of exper experimentation. What, what messages are you trying to get across there? There's a, a shag week every week, you know, every year, I should say, in Trinity. What, what, what are you trying to teach people? What do people need to think about there? Well, um, the shag week, isn't, it's the shift day. We're doing shift days, so they do kind of do shag days now. And it's, it's, it is led by the students' union. So the student union have been giving out free condoms for years. So we've just signed up for the National Condom Distribution Service. And so we're giving out free condoms all over the campus. So the message really is about safe sex. From the health centre, it's about safe sex and prevention of STIs and prevention of um, a crisis pregnancies. And you know, there's a big problem now with HIV numbers going up for men who have sex with men. And so that's all of concern. I tend to be quite focused on that element of it because I come from the health service. The counselling service are the ones who've been working with the students' union on the council, on the on the consent, and they're doing incredible work in that. Um, and the message there being again respect. So it's like the same things that come up for all of health are just applied then in the. And what are what are the trends there? Like crisis pregnancies and so on. Um, are they on the increase, on the decrease? Um, no, crisis know? pregnancies are not on the increase. HIV is on the increase. We're getting a lot of chlamydia and a lot of gonorrhea. I can't say, like in Dublin, I'd say in mm. Dublin, there's, mm. a lot, there's a large increase in chlamydia and gonorrhea. Yeah. So SDIs are basically on the increase. Yes. People have become yeah, complacent, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. And of course yeah. the narrative on HIV is that people forget the crisis that was HIV that you and I remember, Tom, but they forget that and they don't realise and HIV is kind of seen as a thing that, oh, you can live with it now and mm. it's not a big crisis anymore. Because you can live with it, but obviously you don't want people getting HIV. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's the trends. There is increases in, the, in, in, in STIs. Very good. Uh, I suppose uh, a thing that, that, that strikes me is that, and, and I see it in Trinity, and I, I, I think you you are partly responsible for this, Martina, is the kind of the the interest in things like group runs and, and, and park runs and kind of kind of small bursts of medium level yeah, yeah. activity. Uh, I mean, there are quite a lot of group runs now in Trinity. Is that something that you're you're kind of part of, or yeah, yeah. Promoting? So I started those with sport, and now mm. sport kind of run them all the time. So do you know what the biggest barrier to being physically active is? No, tell me. Well, would you like to guess? guess? Well, uh, the biggest barrier to being physically active, laziness. Um, yeah. No, uh, perhaps not having a pair of trainers. No. <laughs> we could sort that out. No, it's time. It's lack of time. You actually said it before we were talking. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put mm. you on the spot. I thought you'd get it. It's lack of time. That is the number one barrier by a mile. So we started those social walk, jog, run groups on Wednesdays. The idea is that you'll get in, start at five past one, get in, we'll have you do 3K. If you're running, you'll do 3K and you'll have it done and dusted in 20 minutes. If you're walking, you won't quite get to 3K. And then we'll do a cool down and we'll have you back at your desk. So the whole thing takes 30 minutes. And the reason for it is, is that, um, like when I started in college, we all, uh, in, in sports science in the 90s, it all had to be, you know, leotards on and it had to be yeah, a big thing. Yeah, yeah. Now it's just about incorporating movement into your day all day long. So that's a 30 minute burst that you can do at lunchtime. You still have time to get changed and to go back and get your lunch to actually eat all within the hour. And I think it's really interesting, the more more and more emphasis is coming on this idea of incorporating movement into your day rather than you know, having to go to the gym to do your exercise. So at the moment, we put out a post there on our Instagram on Healthy uh, Trinity Dublin, 
uh, Instagram about um, taking a five minute break for every 30 minutes that you're studying because people are in the in the library and they're crouched over their de desks. So it is really important throughout the day to just take a little bit of um, a, a little bit of exercise. I give out to anyone I see in a lift. I should never see any of you in a lift. I'll be watching out for Tom. Stairs are an incredible opportunity for just a little burst of anaerobic exercise up the stairs. So it's all about the messaging all the time is becoming about these little bits of exercise because you'll get the people who absolutely love to exercise, you know, the mm, ones on, mm. you know, gains on on um, on Instagram. But for the ordinary Joe Soap who wants to do other stuff and be healthy and ha and, and have health just be part of their life, that's when you need really simple, mes simple messaging about, look, just take every staircase, you, you actively, tr um, active transport, um, all these little places where you can incorporate physical activity into your day. Um, that's the way to do it. And then obviously, if you go to the gym and lift 100 kg a day, that's excellent. I mean, that's only going to benefit you. But it's for the low active people who need to do more. So this really is your passion, isn't it, in a, in a, in a, oh, really? in a nutshell? It's, it's to get low active people to, to, to medium activity. Yeah, I just to, think every, uh, it's just everything's yeah. better after a walk or a run, yeah. Yeah. Just as a kind of final question, Martina, I'm, I'm always curious about people in your shoes because it always seems to me, you know, you've thought about this a lot. Uh, and most of us haven't. What, what, what do you think are the things that you do differently to, you know, to most of your friends and contemporaries? Let's assume, I'm assuming you ha hang around with people who are reasonably healthy somehow, but what, what do you think are the, the few things that you know that your, your, your friends and family might think is a bit eccentric, but, but you really think is worthwhile? Yeah, well, what are the rules that you live by? To be honest, I don't know why, because people think I'm a bit of a weirdo, but I haven't exactly. No, I'm entirely, sure you're not a weirdo. No. I'm not entirely sure why people refer to me as healthy, but I suppose it's because I cycle everywhere. And so if you choose not to drive, and I have a car, I drive most days actually, but um, um, so and choosing to walk. So if you walk in and out of town, like if you were to walk, you know, five, six K, some people think that's odd, I suppose. But it's picking up exercise everywhere you can. All of my dinners, people comment on my food being very healthy. I don't know why, and I think it must be the colour. So one thing I do that I do in work and everybody always comments on is um, sometimes in a hurry, so I just bring a pot of hummus and a full carrot. And it's an organic carrot, because I, I do spend a few bob extra on organic stuff if I can, if it's in season. And I suppose I eat in season as well. And, and but um, I just... But are you a difficult eater? No, no. If you oh, went for probably, lunch, yeah. would it be impossible to find no, something on No, no, I'm not a fussy eater. Yeah. I, would I will eat anything, but yeah. if I was given a choice, I'd always yeah. eat... So you always choose... Whole foods help, that are yeah. really colourful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I suppose that's what I do as well. When you look at what I'm eating, it tends to be very, very colourful. And so people say that's, that that's a bit odd. Um, I do eat rubbish. I love chocolate, but not the crappy chocolate. Like, you know, um, some of the Cadbury's chocolate used to be really nice. Uh, and there's one particular product, and I've got a real bee in my bonnet about it because it used to be delicious. Come on, name it. Which uh, one is roses, it? and then Kraft took them up. Um, Tastes like licking an armpit. Yeah. So I do believe that if you're going to eat rubbish, which I highly recommend, it's delicious, great for mental health. You know that you do it slowly, that you enjoy it, that you know mindless eating is so a really savor, bad idea. Savor the savor, kind of and the once you start stuff. to savor. Yeah your food, you notice that roses are selling us all a pup. Because mm. the purpose of a rose is either to be, the purpose of all foods is either to be nutritious or to taste good. And a Cadbury's roses do neither. They don't taste good or, <laughs> so I say. This isn't sponsored by Cadbury's anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of food manifest, so a lot of packaged food like that. And if you eat in season, for example, food tastes way better. So if you eat clementines at the moment, they're really mm. starting to taste great. Mm. So you pay attention to the season. We've just come out of red grape season. And of course you have to decide what you consider to be seasonal and local. Because obviously there's no red grapes grown around here, but um, 
But uh, so I do stuff. How like do you that know well. this? How do you know when things are in season? Uh, because you can see the prices drop. Like if you go into a shop, you'll watch. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, you'll watch the prices. So it's really good for students. Things are expensive. Avoid them. Yeah, not yeah. In like raspberries in December are going to be expensive yeah, well and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but funny, I was teaching some yeah. students last week, and not one of them, 60 students, not one of them could name a season for me. A single season. Because when I was a kid, new, new spuds were a big deal, you know, and they couldn't even, the new potato season in July, or, uh, and, and then I was going on about Clementines, because I do go on about them a bit, but that's my favourite season of the year is happening now. And again, that's a little bit of joy as well when you see the Clementines coming, it's something to look forward to, all of that, yeah. So basically, eat colourful food, c food with strong colours, yeah. and eat them when they're in season, that's, yeah, that's you like. your kind of... Yeah, and then your, exercise, your pick up exercise anywhere you can. Pick up exercise anywhere you can. Um, and then there's all the other stuff, alcohol and all of that. And again, oh, what about alcohol? That's a bit of a personal well, I don't question, have how like drinks, like but oh. do, you, do you think just avoid, obviously, excess, that goes without saying, but um, are you a kind of a proponent of the one glass a day, or you, do you think yeah. better not? The national recommendations are to not. So that's that's what my official position has to be. It has to be to uh, drink. Um, not no, no, there are no official. Not positions. even one. Oh yeah, yeah. Not even one glass a day. My own view on it is that I hate alcohol advertising. I have no problem mm. actually with alcohol. I think there's always been alcohol, and I don't think we should. I think people should be not drink too much. Um, but I, um, so I, I think that I, I, the national recommendations are fine as far as I'm concerned. But I do have a major problem with alcohol advertising. And again, I had th this is the same thing with advertising of um, you know protein bars to people as as healthy food. They're highly processed foods. They're actually not healthy. So I have a problem with advertising in general. Um, but in terms of alcohol, I think the national recommendations are fine. Uh, seven units a week or whatever. Um, uh, a glass of wine every day. I personally don't in, in, engage in. And the recommendations are um, you know there's breast cancer recommendations and stuff like that that you shouldn't be having. And the problem with Irish people is you tell them once to have a glass of wine, it's all they hear. You tell them to go for a run a hundred times, nothing. So it's just, you have to be very careful about that. So um, yeah, my own personal view is if you're having a glass of wine, savour it, it's an enjoyable thing. And obviously don't drink to excess, but I would love to see alcohol advertising got rid of in the same way that tobacco advertising has been got rid of. And like now they've brought in, um, that you know, we're at 17% smoking now, for, which is just incredible. When you think of my mm. parents' generation, mm. Mm. the numbers have dropped and the, pl and the plain packaging. And one of the things that really frustrates me as well about industry is that we know exactly what, because we went through such a long process of reigning in the tobacco industry, we know exactly what works for childhood obesity and we know exactly what works for alcohol. Like some people are, I know some people like to drink, but some people really are suffering at excessive, because of excessive alcohol, because, because alcohol is too cheap. Um, so we know exactly how to rein in those industries. They shouldn't be allowed to sit at the table when we're negotiating what the national recommendations are. But at the moment they are. There's a, an academic, Nora Campbell, down the School of Business is doing FOIs on how the food recommendations for childhood obesity were done. And I mean, Tesco were being brought in to present Kellogg's. I mean, that's just a highly processed food. Kellogg's. Now I've dissed Cadbury's, now I'm going for Kellogg's. But all these people, all these companies that make highly processed foods, um, and they're, they're pursuing profit. So there's no reason for us to give them a seat at the table when we're negotiating our recommendations for public health. Except one might argue that the large supermarkets are the kind of, you know, they're very influential. By what they make available or not available is really going to influence, I would have thought, what most people will actually consume. Do you not think they should be at the table? I mean, they have a very good understanding, I would have thought, of our habits. Uh, yeah, but do you not think their goal is profit? So that if they're at the table and you're looking at the evidence, they'll muddy the waters to make sure that whatever profits they need to make, you know, so if you're going to say that, 
for example, Coca-Cola is a highly profitable, I presume, for them. So if you say, well, actually, let's come out hard against, which I think is probably the next place public health recommendations should come out hard is against fizzy drinks. It's in their interests, they're one of their biggest sellers, to not have negative messages coming out about fizzy drinks. So, you know, and the problem is all the bad stuff in behaviour change happens in the grey area. So if you let them in to muddy the waters, like what we're trying to pursue is the health of, you know, we've got all these researchers and doctors who are, who are sitting down to address public health needs. Public health needs are very different to profit-making needs mm, of, mm. of large industries. So it's up to them, really, them to... Our national recommendations are designed to protect the public, to keep the public safe. It's up, for them, up to them, then, to provide within those guidelines. So then maybe they would start providing, um, I don't know, um, fresh vegetables cheaper than frozen chips or whatever. Well, that'll be an interesting day. Martina yeah. Mullen, thank you very much for no, talking to thank us Thank you today. very much for having me. Thank you.